This is America's day. This is democracy's day. Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're dangerously likely to talk about the inauguration. So, Caleb, normally, as I always say, we would do a what if right now, but we had quite some controversy with our last episode to the point that we got not just one, but two comments. <laughs> one I think we can tackle really quickly, and I have no no issue with just like... Would you like me to get into it? Yeah. Okay, so our first comment came in the form of an, a very professional and formal email. We're not going to name names here, but you know who you are. And it says, good morning, Caleb and Terrell. I write to you today to discuss some clear and obvious inaccuracies presented in your discussion of Avatar The Last Airbender. These inaccuracies frankly prove that you have not, in fact, watched this cinematic masterpiece. Okay, just to interrupt, first of all, I speak on behalf of Terrell when I say this, when we both have watched it, it's just been since basically childhood. I definitely still remember... One, living at home in Michigan, which I haven't done in the last four years. But two, living at home with my parents in Michigan, which adds another four years because I have been out of college long enough. Pretty sure I wasn't in high school yet. Whenever I have to Google and look into when Avatar came back or started. But one of the original watchers, so I apologize that I don't recall everything from season three. Long story short, should we watch it again? 100%. 100%. But I felt a little attacked there. Only a little? Well, the next paragraph really gets (laughs) under my skin. This person goes on to say, First, I'd like to offer the fact that Caleb would not be an earthbender. His connection with nature for the purpose of healing and connection with other beings while in nature prove that he would in fact be an air nomad or of the water tribes. Which I actually do disagree with. While I understand where that's coming from, the healing nature and and the core of who you are, Caleb, I also think this individual neglects your personality and the things that you value, which lean a little bit more into an earth tribe. Maybe not the stern ones that you probably recall the quickest, but I think the goofy nature, the type that you are, a little bit more towards the earth side. But that's just me. Okay, Terrell, basically what I'm hearing you say is that I'm a big earth boy. Oh, God. (laughs) Dangerously likely to be a big earth boy. No. Anyways, well, I'm not going to read the rest of our disgruntled fans' uh, email. They'll get over it. Uh, I will kind of describe what the rest of it says. And for the biggest part that the rest of it says is that Terrell had mocked me for bending earth from space, and I guess there was a scene with a meteor, meteor in which Earth was bended, bent. but from space. Bended. <laughs> Bended, bent. Jeez. Bent. Um, <laughs> which, again, and, I apologize for not remembering season three. And also, Terrell very much wanted to uh, control people with water bending, Which and does a, happen to some extent. Apparently, and I do, now that I think about it, remember this, that is a thing, and it's called blood bending, and it's pretty sinister and evil. So that's... Uh, I mean, it's on you, Terrell. That's a fact that I'm sinister and evil, so I, I still stand by my points here. Our disgruntled fan ends it by saying, if you have any questions or comments regarding my analysis, 
please feel free to respond. Best, a slightly disappointed, loyal listener. Hopefully this satisfies you. Thank you for listening, our disgruntled fan. Mm. <laughs> We're glad you have reached out. Okay, Terrell. I, yeah, nah. What was the other comment about? The other comment I can actually entertain, because I do think it brings up some valuable points um, and really some great analysis. This listener says, Another thing I want to mention to y'all. We talk about losing the blue wall during the general election, but no one is talking about how we broke the Bible Belt. That's a big deal, and no one's saying anything. To which I want to ask Caleb, is that a big deal? Well, Terrell, I do think it's a big deal. And I don't think it has been left out of the news. Obviously, well, okay. So it has, but it, for obvious reasons, it ha- like we broke the Bible Belt. We broke through Georgia when capital riots were happening, insurrections against our country. There was country. A, lot of ha- a lot of things happening. A lot of happenings happened at the same time, simultaneously. Yes. But um, I will say that... While maybe the media has not played it up as much, I think I think it is a huge, huge deal that we won in Georgia. Does that mean that we truly broke the Bible belt, meaning are are we gonna win other states in that belt, other southern states? I'm not sure. See, I, I think you give a, a great insight to my point of I think a reason it hasn't been a bigger narrative is when we recall the blue wall was broken, the entire blue wall crumbled. It wasn't like, a oh, one of the bricks just tilted and fell off. Michigan just happened to. No. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. the blue wall collapsed. Versus the Dems won Georgia. It cracked the Bible Belt, but we still don't know if it's going to turn out to just be an anomaly. And there's a solid chance that it's, there's an argument out there that, Had this been any other candidate, Georgia may not have flipped. It might not be the Democratic message, but I I do think that one of the reasons that snippet isn't dominating as much as it should be, which I do think it should, that Georgia obviously is a very important thing, is when Donald Trump broke the blue wall, it collapsed. When Joe Biden cracked the Bible belt, it it whimpered. <laughs> <laughs> Terrell, one last question before we move on. Uh, do you think the success the Democrats had in Georgia uh, is a launching pad to success in other southern states? 100%. I've been fortunate to be a part of a few calls on what the future of the party might look like and, and people just having conversations about what should be next. And I think Georgia can be the catalyst if the Democrats are listening, which with um, Jamie Harrison now leading the charge of the DNC, I think they're listening um, to say, why aren't we doing a 50 state strategy? Why, uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, Montana, while conservative at its core and views limited government as important, most voters care about the environment and think climate change is impacting their state specifically. Why are the Democrats consistently losing in that space when they're running against a party that doesn't believe climate change is real? I think that Georgia gives them the insight that we we need to stop playing to the blue wall, to the big cities, to, oh, maybe we'll get this state to 
No, we can win every state if we just control the narrative. So Terrell, last week, Joe Biden was sworn in in Kamala Harris as well as the next president and vice president, respectively, of the United States of America. So my question to you is... I feel a halo right now. Just, I'm blissful. Continue. (laughs) Uh, My question to you is, uh, how did you feel about inauguration? I feel a halo right now. I'm blissful. (laughs) Um, No, I... So personally, I was really fortunate because um, I was able to take Wednesday off, took it off forgetting that the inauguration was happening, being completely honest. By that point in time, so much had happened, I didn't know what day it was. Um, But there was something, uh, someone tweeted it, and I think it's the best way to put it. I, I felt like I was breathing for the first time in five years, and... Wow. I know that sounds dramatic, and I'm sure people are going to be like, eh, he's just going over the top. But the event itself had so much joy, had so much peace. And remembering that on Facebook, for the duration of Trump's presidency, um, my profile picture was a black square because I I was standing in protest that he hadn't acted presidential. He wasn't doing things that deserved the respect of the office. And until he did, I wasn't going to change my profile picture. Fortunately, he never did. And it changed not because of him, but because someone new was in the office. And I think... Fortunately or unfortunately? Did I say fortunately? Mm-hmm. Oops. Well, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, but also fortunately, because I think... And this is going to deviate, so I'll pull it back. But I, I think... There were so many times where he acted presidential for a split second and the media very quickly jumped to and said, oh, this is a he's pivoting. This is a change. Oh, my God. The the number. Oh, my God. Who did it? There was some show or maybe it was The Daily Show that was like put all, you know, strings, all those uh, clips together of different news heads talking so many. A change of tone from the president. Jesus. Tone change from the president. Is this how it's going to be now? Like almost like, okay. Every time so, he read from a teleprompter. Yeah. So he read from a teleprompter. He sounded presidential air quotes there because he still sounded like a big goof. <laughs> and, and, and then the media was like, oh my gosh, that's a change of tone. He's being a president now. That's a good thing. And then the next day he would tweet some horrible shit. Yeah. And I think that's why I'll say fortunate is because I went in with very low expectations and they were met and unmet. Um, but I never ended up being disappointed by that type of thing of going in, having that reflection, having that understanding. I never hit a moment of, Oh, he's being presidential this one time and then had to switch my profile back twice. I, it was a consistent thing. So <laughs> maybe it's the pessimist in me, but yeah, fortunately. Um, but this is, like I said, I'm deviating to the point all of that plays a key part into just how how much joy came out of this show of a peaceful transition of power, a, a democracy winning, people winning, and a moment for us all to say there's a chance for something to go right. I would agree with that, you know. 
I um, thought I was going to be unfortunate because I woke up knowing full well that I had a meeting that was supposed to start basically right when Joe Biden, what we thought at the time was supposed to be inaugurated. He was inaugurated about 20 minutes before that in his speech went a little bit past my meeting time, but I was also lucky because my boss had overslept and we didn't talk <laughs> until after Joe Biden inauguration events were basically over. A and series of fortunate events. A series of fortunate events for this guy right here on a lovely Wednesday morning on January 20th. But, um, you know, as I was kind of watching like different like presidents and just people kind of walking through the big doors of the Capitol. Oh my God. First of all, Maybe this is a little bit like totalitarian to me, authoritarian. I don't know. But I am just such a huge fan of big draping flags on Capitol buildings. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here snapping because Michelle Obama worked that. But Oh my gosh, Michelle Obama stole the show with her outfit. Looking at flags, Ooh. I'm over here like, that's my first lady. Are you, kidding? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh, amazing. Um... But I just kind of sat there and I will say that like the Saturday when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris got officially projected to win the election, like that was kind of an emotional day. Like I didn't almost, I didn't expect it to to be, but it kind of was Um, just a really happy moment. And maybe some of our longtime listeners will remember that episode. It's about all of us. It was great. Um, nice shameless plug shameless plug uh, but um, <laughs> I was also a little bit surprised about how kind of emotional I was It I wasn't as emotional, emotional as that day that they were projected to win but I still mm-hmm. was emotional a little bit just in like seeing um, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and all their family members there you know mm-hmm. wearing masks, being safe um, Lady Gaga's amazing oh national anthem and the s- official start to the Hunger Games. Oh yes, <laughs> and uh, watching uh, Joe Joe Biden speak and both of them get sworn in and like what a historical day it was just so phenomenal and I can't forget possibly the person who stole the show Amanda Gorman mm. the uh, National Youth Poet Laureate and. She was phenomenal. And I saw a tweet. I don't remember who it was from, but I saw a tweet that basically said, um, waking up today, this is the day after uh, Mm -hmm. inauguration, waking up today, uh, knowing that we have a president that doesn't care if a young black woman in her 20s uh, steals the show um, from on his big day. And it's like knowing that is making me smile. And... I couldn't help but smile too because that's so accurate. Like Joe Biden, when when that day I talked about when he did when um, when he got projected to win for the first time the election, like he had Kamala Harris speak first, and Kamala Harris probably honestly to me had a better speech than he did, and he he knows that. I mean, and there's no way they didn't know that this National Youth Poet Laureate was yeah. gonna go out there and blow everybody away more than Joe's speech. Like he knows these things. But I think it's really powerful to have a president who is letting these other voices have kind of the space to be powerful in the moment that isn't just his. And maybe that's why 
both of us, I think a lot of people in the nation, and some people who weren't, and we, we can own that in this space, but after, after losing a title that I didn't realize was a real thing, um, of uh, empathizer-in-chief or uh, uh, consoler-in-chief, after losing that for so long, to your point, and I think Clyburn said this the best, or even Kamala, I think, Joe Biden knows loss. He's seen it. He's felt it. He's been there. And at the end of the day, even through his loss, he fell back into his community. He found an opportunity to get on the train every morning and go to work and still build connections on the train, even though he had one of the greatest detriments to ever happen to him. Right before he headed to um, D.C., he was crying on a stage because the the same train station that he traveled from got named after his son who died of cancer. And he he got to be there for that unveiling. He got to be there, even though he was originally going to take the train from Delaware to Washington, D.C., but because of the insurrection and all the threats against his life, he couldn't do that. He still got to have that moment. And I, I think... After so many years of taking it to the shoulder or just hardening yourself because you you started to expect the worst, seeing the person in the highest office shed a tear or willingly extend his hand out to someone else, it mattered, but it it also it also changed the narrative. And I, I think to the piece on the um, poet laureate, she wrote that piece the day of the insurrection. She, there was an a interview with her after, and she spoke to how she, she felt writer's block going in, and she was nervous because she hadn't finished the piece, and the insurrection happened. She finished that, that poem that night because she felt so many things and had so many hopes and, and saw so many different pieces of America. And... Uh, I think for me that all of that circulates and comes together to this moment was so much more because he he was able to be so different. And then to see him be able to get out of the car and actually walk to the White House and Kamala Harris be able to walk to the Naval Observatory as if the parade was normal, even though we all knew it wasn't normal. And and Joe Biden taking an extra second to go... um, fist bump Al Roker, or Al Roker because that's what he did <laughs> during his first inauguration. Like There was just so many pieces that just fit together kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Perfectly? Yeah. I, it just felt... As perfect as it could be. <laughs> it felt so good to not even hear Donald Trump's name. Or have to worry about tweets. Oh my god. But also to see... I don't know if this is true. Maybe this was a Twitter thing. But there was talks that the the reason the females of the night wore the colors they did were not because of, oh, this just happened to be the best outfit. But it was a representation of what they got their um, doctoral degrees in. Mm -hmm. Jill Biden wore a teal color because of education. Uh, Michelle, Hillary, and Kamala 
were a purple type color because they have their JDs. And it, it was those little nods to uh, quoting Michelle Obama, when you go low, we go high. And it was it was all of that. And just, again, the way her hair was laid, seeing Hillary Clinton was a breath of fresh air, like seeing oh God. all of them interact. And honestly, seeing Mike Pence there, it, it, while he might not have been a key player, it was nice to see, here's an opportunity for America to go back to where it could have been four years ago. Some some showing of a peaceful transfer of power. Mm-hmm. And you know, not to give him oh, too much credit, though, just to clarify. I, I want to get back to that in a sec, but really, I want to just like take like a minute and just really appreciate Amanda Gorman for a sec because like she totally, definitely, hundred uh, percent stole, the, stole show. the show. And I want to lead outfit and all. I want to read uh, the last four lines of her poem, and this won't do her poem justice. You should go look up um, yeah her poem and the way she uh, expressed it at the inauguration because it was phenomenal. But the last four lines go like this. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Honestly, I was just kind of struck. I was sitting on my couch here in my apartment, and I was like, holy shit. Hmm. Like, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Or like uh, Clyburn being able to come out a few... um, moments after the inauguration had finished and say that George W. Bush leaned in to him and told him, thank you for saving the union. Uh, Like there was just such a, there was a lot of recognition here from all spaces that had it gone a different way, things would not have been this way. And I, I think there was a collective sigh and a collective confusion of, how do we all feel this, but also how do we all get here? So much so that you, you're you seeing the old controversies that Barack Obama had to deal with. You're seeing the, oh, he wore a Rolex and his Peloton almost caused an issue, which very much throw me to the tan suit days. <laughs> like, the, and I don't, I'm not trying to bash the media here, but I, I do feel that news networks recognize that they don't have the same content they've had for the last four years. They don't have the tweets coming out. They don't have the random um, invocation of violence that can lead to someone being impeached. No, you have an American citizen who served in all offices he could and and felt a call to action to run for president because he felt that the country was slipping so quickly and so so steadily and he's going to lead like that and he's going to do that and and i think in the the clips that we we play and the pieces that we have it shows in his words that he he gets the country doesn't the country needs change it doesn't necessarily need a revolutionary change but it does need a change back to its heart it needs a change back to the soul and I think he stood by his message that this was always a fight for the soul of the country. Kind of going back to at least Mike Pence showed up from the administration to signify some kind of peaceful transition of power, right? Um, there was a lot of criticism and a lot of like, oh my God, Trump's not going to be at inauguration. Uh, uh. I didn't miss him. Nobody did. Everybody was glad he was gone. And 
like, yeah, maybe there's some kind of argument to be made that it would have looked better for a peaceful transition of power, but I'm kind of glad he wasn't there because I felt like the all eyes would have been on him the whole time. I and mean, we wouldn't have really gotten this kind of spectacular inauguration that was put together even with no audience there yeah. in the National Mall. I mean, we look at we Bernie Sanders if you want to know what it would have been like if Trump was there. <laughs> I I <laughs> say what you will, this might cause for me to get this might be a call for me to be canceled. It is what it is, but you lost in a primary for a second time. Hashtag canceled. And <laughs> you show up wearing mittens, your arms folded. Granted, it was a little chilly, so I'll, I'll give you some grace there. Well, the, the mittens, I will say, I appreciate the mittens. They were homemade and it was a gift yes. to him. And I thought that was, that was a good story. But his body expression showed he didn't really want to be there. No, he didn't really and care for it that much. It's that... It's that behavior that I think Donald Trump would have showed if he was there, being completely transparent. Oh, gosh. And it's that... Except Donald Trump has terrible facial expressions. Truth. But I don't know... Eh, he probably would have been just as much of a meme as Bernie Sanders would. But it's that same kind of thing of... There were so many people who were showing joy who may have been interested, may not have been interested. I mean, Mitch McConnell didn't even become a meme. And I would say Mitch McConnell has been a thorn at the side of democracy for his entire life. Um... <laughs> But Bernie Sanders became a meme because he conveyed so much disinterest to this shift that it didn't matter. Even after having a seat at the table for drafting policy for this administration, even after being one of the advisors to talk about who should be in the administration, even after being asked to be in the administration and choosing to stay in the Senate because you felt you had more power there, you showed up, arms crossed, in casual wear, like you had nowhere, you literally could have been anywhere else but there. I don't know, Terrell. He could just have a serious case of resting uninterested face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do have a bias here because I don't like him, but I, I just, I felt, I felt we have all these conversations about how great, how grateful we were that Trump wasn't there. And, and some people were like, well, if he would have showed up, would he have been that bad? And I yes. think... I think <laughs> <laughs> yes he would have he would have but it, I think it wouldn't have just been him it would have been literally the cameras fixating on his face half the okay. time that Joe Biden was even speaking and it would have been all of his supporters on Twitter on different spaces talking about things I mean there's a, a, a conspiracy trend on TikTok that the original thought was he was going to show up to the inauguration and right when Joe Biden was going to go up to um, get sworn in, Joe or uh, Trump was going to say you're fired, and the Secret Service was going to take him away. Like that's how deranged they are right now, which is a whole <laughs> other argument. But the disinterest that I felt from Bernie Sanders is exactly what I would have felt from Donald Trump. I I personally feel like of I lost. I'm stuck in my head of where did I go wrong. I'm stuck in my head of it should be me. I'm stuck in my head of there are better options. And I'm too busy stuck in my head to actually live in the moment with the rest of the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just a little controversy for the pod. Why not? Let's uh, switch gears to more of Joe Biden's speech specifically. There was kind of a point or two I wanted to touch on, and I have a clip, and here it is. History has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh 
ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. So I thought the speech was really good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great inauguration speech. Um, but I really wanted to get right into uh, kind of this part because here is where we hear the words white supremacy mentioned for like the first time ever, I believe, in an inaugurationist address. And I think Joe Biden, like inauguration addresses are kind of like exciting, joy filled, mm-hmm. all of this. And he wasn't afraid to lean into the realities of yeah. what America is. Yeah, it's a way to paint what you think the future will hold or what your administration can do. Yeah. And I just, I thought it was very interesting that he took this turn into, you know, it's always been a struggle between our, the idealism of everyone is created equal versus some of these realities, especially what we faced over the last four to five years. Let us not forget, Joe Biden was the highest paid official to call for marriage equality. And again, That's right. thinking back to how we felt in the day, I, I can't help but think of um, the consoler in chief. Like he, yes, he might have some baggage and yes, he might have some problematic pieces that we want to talk, but he's never been afraid to speak to a moment. He was a part of an administration that got to see marriage equality, make it to the Supreme Court and win. But a lot of people still to this day credit his ability to be in an interview and flatly say, everyone deserves the right to marry. As a mm-hmm. Catholic, let us also not forget his religious principles right. that play into this. And he did so, not to slander, but he did so against the Obama administration because they didn't want to weigh into the topic. They still thought it was too um, divisive. They saw, thought it was too controversial. Risky, yeah. So... Uh, I don't want to say I'm not surprised that he said this, but I do think it shows that we've always known his character. And this is a reminder that even after the election, even after all the things that have been said about him and towards him, his character has always been pointed to and bent to justice and bent to the right side. I think that what it reminds me of and shows me of um, is that Joe Biden is probably one of the best people that we could have chosen for this moment. Hmm. And, you know, a year ago, before we knew he was going to win the primaries, I don't know if I thought that. I I wasn't the kind that hated Joe Biden. Like, some people are like, oh my God, Joe Biden, you. Yeah. I wasn't the person that didn't like him, but I didn't think I was going to vote for him. Yeah. And then he won the primaries not that soon afterwards. And even then I was... I. I didn't know. I was a little indifferent. I didn't think he was a terrible candidate. I didn't think he was the best candidate. But I think that he has really proven himself to be a candidate for this moment. Mm. And I think it's seen right here. And I I laugh because, like, after he said specifically this line, you know, like, Carl Rove on Fox News is like, you know what? It was a good speech. But I really mm. took great offense to this line. Like, so what? We're all uh, racists and all this stuff. And... I'm like, yeah. I mean, let us not <laughs> let us not forget leading up to this, there's one party that actively was seeking to throw out African American votes because they voted against them. So maybe if the shoe fits. Yeah, I mean it might I be mean, a size nine and you might be a size nine. 
Who's to say? I mean, pretty much all the places that uh, they were challenging the vote was all the places where the black vote was the highest and where the black vote uh, won the election for the Democrats, like Detroit. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Milwaukee. Yep. uh, Of course, Georgia, where it's specifically designed, as we talked about last week, uh, for African-Americans not to be able to 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 vote. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's funny that, like... Republicans are taking great offense to this speech that was, in their words, cleverly... uh, It was an attack. Cleverly written as a moment of unity, but really, it wasn't wasn't uniting at all. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, why don't you look in the mirror real quick? We had an insurrection that was brought on by a lot of you. Some (laughs) of you have done the right thing since. Mm, I mean, we're not... Debatable. We're not at removal. We're We're not through the trial of... The second trial the of second Donald Trump's trial. impeachment quite yet. But some of you in the House have but indeed have, have any of them really voted. done the right thing? They've all, like, Chris Christie is now out actively talking about why the president should be impeached. Yet he was one of the first people <laughs> to expect to be put in the administration. And I still do believe that he might be a little scorned. The only person we can kind of give credit to is Mitt Romney because he stood up during the first impeachment and said... Yeah, this is bad. We we need to change this. Mm-hmm. And yet still voted with the administration at a what, 92% rate? Like Chris Christie, I think is a Chris Christie had a big COVID awakening. He did. He had a really big COVID awakening and like do you remember when like Liz Cheney was considered to be like the next amazing star in the Republican party? But also like low key a little sus at least. Mm, yeah. And now she's like the reasonable arm of the Republican Party. I think that's just very... It's fascinating how quickly things change. It's... <laughs> but I think Joe Biden hit the nail on the coffin there. I think... I think he really... He just pointed out that look. Like, like the reality of America is that it's always been this... These ideals of human everyone it doesn't matter the color of your skin it doesn't matter where you come from we're all equal against all the forces that say no you know what white people are superior yeah america's never been perfect but something that clicked in my head when you were talking and something that i don't think we ponder enough is everyone speaking to the Republican Party and and where is it going? And it's in the midst of a civil war. We need not look back more than 60 years to the moment the Democratic Party split from from the South. And you had a leader at the time, LBJ, who, against his own wishes, pushed for the civil rights movement waded into it because he he realized that he had no other choice. He watched his president get assassinated because of it, and, and that was his kind of call-to-action moment. I would go so far to argue that is what we're seeing. It might not be a, a geographic issue, but the Republican Party really has a moment here of where do we stand in history and how will history remember us? And I think a lot of people have tried to place the last administration and where it falls into things. But when you see 
the former candidate actively coming out to speak against the current uh, the highest official in the party. When you see the third ranking member of the House breaking from House leadership and not telling them out of fear, when you see uh, all the random procedural moves being made to not have to do this vote, not because, and maybe I'm flawed in this, but not because people don't believe it's the right decision, but because people are afraid of the potential outcome on them, it maybe there's a hypocrisy to it. There's there's a bit of humor to it even of here you are, the party that argued that you were going to make the first black president a one-term president and and use that as a, a catalyst to be who y'all are today. And now you really have someone that you can't pinpoint. You can't find the reason to dislike him because the country's not going to hate him. He's he's white. <laughs> if we're going to be transparent, he's an old white man. A radical liberal, Terrell. You can't even argue that because <laughs> Bernie Sanders and AOC very clearly are against some of his policy choices. So now you're in a space of how do we stoke division when we have a person who doesn't foster it? We have the Democratic Party, for better or for worse, pick the one candidate that genuinely can't make us divisive. Now we're going to speak the truth. And when he talks about white supremacy, we're going to act like that's that's divisive, not because it's divisive, but because that's who we are. And we we are recognizing that it's either we fight against who we are and we try to build a better message or we lean into it because we really think that the 74 million people who showed up for Trump are going to be the 74 million people who give us the Senate, the White House, the House in years to come. So, Terrell, I only have one question for you. And last week I asked, will Donald Trump be removed? But this <laughs> week, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. Okay. Will Mitch McConnell vote to remove Donald Trump? Yes or no? Go. Ask me to predict a turtle's plan. You know how long it takes in the process? They move so slow. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. I I don't want to say a definitive answer here because I I this podcast has reminded me how hopeful I was after everything that's happened, and I just don't want to be in that space. But um, I hope so. I I I have faith that Mitch McConnell still is so has so much stewardship towards the institution of the Senate that watching people march in it and disgrace it the way it did got under his skin in such a way that um, it's hard for him to let that go. And I, I do believe when his aides come out and say that he feels that the, the former president committed impeachable acts, I also think that he cares about the Republican Party in such a way that he recognizes there is no other option that you can't you can't appease him anymore because all he will do is continue to spread like a cancer through a party that's already sick. Um, I mean, today he announced the creation of the office of the former president, which no president <laughs> has ever done before. They just they make their own foundation and they go off and do good things. But he's so stuck in this belief that he's supposed to be the president that he made 
an office where he admits he's the former president, which I think we can all agree means he conceded finally. Um, but is actively starting to think of ways to continue to be a part of the narrative and continue to be be there. So all of that to say, I think, I hope he will. Well, Terrell, I think I agree with you in uh, that I hope Mitch McConnell does. Will he? I'm leaning yes. I think he might just do it. Hmm? But it, it's still hard to say. We're just going to have to see what happens. Want a harder question? Oh, I'd love a harder question. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Chiefs oh or Buccaneers? OMG, Terrell. <laughs> so I just want to say that uh, I am not a huge fan of Green Bay. <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me for that. I'm like, no. And But I'm also not, like, I don't want Tom Brady, who just moved to a new team this year, to win a Super Bowl with this new team. So I wanted them both to lose, even though they're both NFC teams, and that doesn't work. Uh, but Green Bay, I think I don't, I dislike a little bit more. So I'm okay that they lost. So now Tom Brady has a chance in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And honestly, like, if there's any... Like, you know how you, you have your favorite team. Like, mine's the Seahawks, yours is the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have a team that, like, you're like, yeah, like, I could root okay. for this team. Yeah, That is the Kansas City Chiefs for me. So Same. let's go, Kansas City. I'll note that uh, my team, Seattle, was uh, in their second Super Bowl in a row uh, trying to make some history for the franchise. Uh, and they uh, failed. They lost against Tom Brady and the Patriots. The Chiefs are in the exact same situation. Don't repeat the Seahawks failures, Chiefs. <laughs> Come on. Go Mahomes. Let's go. This is a deep, deep feeling for you. Wow. All the way to the heart. I could tell. <laughs> um, I mean, a part of me wouldn't be mad if Tom Brady won. Cause Why? Because it's, it's a slap in Bill Belichick's face, and like that brings me some joy. Of, That's true. That's fair. I, I won those trophies, not Bill Belichick. Not a good coach. I mean, he is a good coach, but it just it's a slap in his face, which I think is funny. But... 100% on your team. Go Chiefs. I just, I don't want Tom Brady to win again. I think he's won too much. It's I always pull for an underdog. Also, Patrick Mahomes is just kind of cool. Is Kansas City an underdog, though? In this situation, yes. I, stand, I don't know. I stand by any team that goes against Tom Brady as an underdog. Well, I think that's all from us today. Thanks for listening. I'm Terrell. I'm Caleb. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward.